Trigger warning. This podcast discusses themes centered around emotional, physical, and sexual violence. While the stories of the survivors are meant to be inspiring and informative, listener discretion is advised. If you are struggling with any of the aforementioned issues, links to resources can be found in the show notes of today's episode. And when I found out the facts about how he would lie to her or use her religion, saying, like, God brought us together. I've never felt this way before. It's clearly grooming. It's clearly manipulation. And all I could think about before the cops came to arrest him was, he has ruined everything. Hi, survivors. I'm Tara Newell. And I'm Collier Landry, and welcome to the Survivor Squad podcast. Yay! I'm Yay. so excited. <laughs> Today is our first episode. At one point, I yes. thought that maybe this wouldn't happen. Did you, Collier? I always held out the faith. No, I don't know. It's been a while, right? You told me earlier today, it's been, what, a year since we started talking about this? I got a notification on my phone. It was last weekend that yes. we really started talking about things. That's when you came down. We got lunch in Newport Beach, yep. walked to down Corona Del Mar, started talking about the podcast. And it was funny because we were both like, I wonder if this person would want to do this podcast. And what was our common bond? I mean, besides the tacos, because where do we go to? Like this really great taco place. I, I quite enjoyed it. I'm a taco fan. So until I was thinking of Mayo. So it's, of course, I'm a taco fan, right? Yes, happy Cinco de Mayo for the people that are out there celebrating. Yes. But it was really great. We got to walk. We got to bond about true crime, trauma, our lives, the media, everything, how you've been a child in true crime. I was young, a young adult, we'll say. You know, I had had you on my podcast. I was really struck by how the you did a podcast that then turned into a television show that then made tons of money and how they basically came to you and said, you know, well, tough situation. You're, you know, it was public domain. And I just started realizing how survivors in true crime are exploited and you were feeling the same way. And we wanted to be able to create a space that was an ethical space for true crime survivors that was non-exploitative because they were allowing them to tell their own stories about what happened to them. Yeah. So I thought it was great that we thought that we could do a podcast together, thought about ethical true crime, and then we went and did our research on our own. The best possible way to mm -hmm. promote these people's stories, to promote survivors' stories, mm -hmm. because we want other people's stories to be told and we don't want to exploit them we do want to do the best we can for survivors and that is having conversations with them yes absolutely our cases are so extreme you know me obviously <laughs> dealing with my father murdering my mother and putting him in prison and you being attacked by dirty john Meehan and having to defend yourself and 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 take a life in self-defense we have this really sort of nuanced perspective on true crime and what people go through that I think that fortunately for a lot of other people, they don't really have. And that's a great thing that, that normal people can just listen to true crime. But I feel it's so key to be able to listen to people that have been in the trenches, stared down the psychopaths, stared down the murderers, gotten justice, 
and and moved on with their lives. And it's so key. And and I think that's what we can really offer. And that's what makes us unique. Yes, absolutely. Besides our wonderful yes. smiles and charm. No, I'm kidding. So we have today <laughs> as our first guest, who? Jennifer Faison. I'm really excited to have her on because she is a producer as well. And what I drew inspiration from your story was how you took your own narrative. And she did the same in this case. She did. So she created the Betrayal podcast. And it is about, I mean, and, and you know, you were a big fan of it when she decided to come on the show because you'd listen to every episode. And, you know, she, she is someone who got married to her college sweetheart up and moved her life from Los Angeles to, to Atlanta and Georgia and really upended her entire life for this guy and was living what she thought was a fairy tale for five, six, seven years until one day it all yeah. came crashing down. It was one woman or girl unraveling, pulling the thread, uh, uh, the thread out of the ball of yarn. It just kind of all unraveled and led her to find out what trail of deception her husband had been creating. And it's just, it's un it reminds me of my mother, you know, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, but, um, but fortunately, Jennifer is still with us. And, uh, but we're going to listen to wow. her story. What do you think? Yeah. So let's get into it. Let's do it. really happy to be here with you guys because um for one tara dirty john was a reason that i realized i could turn my story into a podcast so i don't know i know it's a tragic story for you and it's it, it was difficult and everything but it really did give me a place to um say hey this can bring more education to these types of topics. I'm going to start crying. <laughs> really? But seriously, you guys started it all. You know, it's the bravery of sharing that story is yeah. it, it gave me a lot of encouragement. And so that's that's why I chose to do mine as well. Yeah. Well, that's the reason why we did the story is because when we shared, we were like, OK, we don't know what's going to happen with this, but we have a feeling it's going to help other women mm -hmm. and help other people. And just hearing that, that's, you know, that's the reason why I share my story. So thank you so much for that. Of course, of course. And that's why I hope me sharing my story does the same thing. You know, just I think when we tell these stories about topics that you don't always hear about or nobody wants to talk about, we don't learn about yeah. them. But when we open up and we share these experiences, I feel like we're touching some people out there who feel alone for sure. And then, you know, if we can help at least one person. Yeah. It's worth it. Yeah, it's so worth it. Well, I know you are a producer. 
you've done a lot of great stuff. You've been nominated nominated for three Emmys, and I mm -hmm. think that that is so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are as a person? So um, I, after I graduated from college, I knew I wanted to get into television. So a few years later, I moved out to LA without a job, without knowing what the heck I was going to do. I don't even think reality TV existed back then, but shows like Judge Judy and talk shows and things like that were big. So I kind of got my foot in the door at Judge Judy and then just started working my way <clears throat> started working my way up and um after a few years i knew what i wanted to do and that was work on extreme makeover home edition i just knew i wanted to be out there in the field running around and so that's really what started all the the field work that i do which i just love i i i feel more comfortable on set <laughs> behind the camera than anywhere else yeah <laughs> there's just like this family feeling too on set isn't there yeah i miss people i i had a show come i'm in atlanta and there was a show that came into town that we did for next netflix about a year ago and so many people from la came out and it was like i was back with my my family you know we all yeah. talked the same language and had the same experiences and knew the same people and you know knew each other some of us and oh it, it is it's like a family it's the best i love that so I was out in L.A. for about 17 years when my college sweetheart reached out to me. And this was the love of my life. Like he was the one that set the bar for any relationship that I ever wanted to have, you know. And so I dated some in L.A. But um, when he reached out 20 years later, we just reconnected and it was magical. And mm. We both ended up in New York at the same time, and that's where we got back together and, and started dating again. And it was just one of the easiest things that I've ever done because my family knew Spence. You know, I knew him. I knew his family. There was just this trust and this bond there. And so a year later, we were married and I, I moved to Atlanta to be with him. Oh, wow. So I thought I thought you moved to L.A. or you guys ended up moving to L.A. later down the line. No, I lived. I was living okay. in L.A. for about 17 years um, when he reached out to me and okay. he was living in Atlanta. We re-met in New York, reconnected, and then um, we kept the relationship alive and decided to get married. And I would move to Atlanta because he had kids that he wanted to stay close to. And I completely respected that. So that that's how I ended up here. Okay. So I want to I just offer, because I've worked in the entertainment industry and I know the dating life in LA and I'm sure a lot of people are, I'm sure a lot of people are like, Oh, well, why did you latch on this guy? 
because it's so hard to date in LA and you, you had a real connection with someone. You're like, oh, I found somebody because I've been out here in this, in this cesspool <laughs> yeah. of just quagmire, <laughs> just crazy. I mean, dating in LA is insane. It's, and isn't it? I'm glad you guys is. agree because it's, yeah. And I think it's in, it's the industry too, is you get involved in these relationships and it's mm -hmm. like, oh, you can't come on set. And you're like, oh God, I got to see them. I got to, now I got to work with this guy for six months. Or this right. For six months. Like, oh my God. Like <laughs> for those who are listening, they're going, why would she get, a, th this is why, because we yeah. look for authentic relationships that a lot of times don't exist, especially when you're in entertainment, because nobody gets it either. You get a nice person and they're like, what, what do you mean you have to go in at 5 a.m.? Like, what do you mean you got to go right. fly off to Amsterdam for three weeks? What are you talking about? Yeah. And I think, you know, Spence was a video production teacher. He, mm -hmm. he also was um, sometimes freelance videographer. And so I think he um, enjoyed that I was in the business, yeah. too. And, sure. you know, tried to kind of understand it and everything. But you're right. It's it's hard to date someone that doesn't get it. Yeah, absolutely. Dating in L.A. No wonder <laughs> I ended up with somebody in Georgia. That's the thing. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and then look what happened. <laughs> well, and then you also dated him a year and a half in college, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, literally, he... Spence set the bar for me when it came to dating because we had such a great relationship in college. It was just really healthy and fun and easy, which I think is really important in relationships. And one of the things we talked about when we had our initial conversation of meeting was there wasn't really any red flags with him. No. I, I'm telling you, you know, I know in your story, you saw the red flags oh, yeah. clearly. Oh, yeah. um, and a, a lot of situations are like that. In my case, I, I swear to you, I never saw any red flags. Even after Spence's arrest, I would go back in my memory and try to think of, is there a single time that you know this makes sense now and honestly i couldn't think of anything yeah wow i couldn't think of anything and and so many people felt that way my family my friends our community you know his teachers that he worked with his bandmates that he played with like everybody i think no i know everybody was completely shocked this was just the last type of person that you would ever think that would be this way wow so what happened so what happened <laughs> um it's crazy the timing of everything because i was driving home to see him i was coming back from nashville from a show coming home to see him so excited. I walk into the house expecting him to greet me like he always did. And instead, he was just just shaking his head in front of this piece of paper. And for a minute, I thought he was joking. But um, I looked at the piece of paper and it was a search warrant. And it said sex and student on it. And I just knew right then, like, this is really, really bad. 
I don't even think that I considered maybe it's not true. You know, I, 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 I asked him, is this true? And, and he told me yes. And that kind of shock when you're living with someone that you completely trust and you feel totally safe with, totally protected by, but yet he made the conscious decision to commit a crime and prey on a young girl. That's who my husband ended up to be. And then two days later, I'm going through his email trying to help him out and discover about 60, 70 other women he was having relationships with. Adult women. Wow. I, I just don't know how someone has that much time. Yeah. Right? That's what that, I said about my father. I didn't understand. He was a doctor. I'm like, how did he have this much time? <laughs> that's the million dollar question. And I think that's why um, one of the reasons I told my story or, or kind of followed it throughout the podcast, because I was really trying to find out who was this stranger that I was married to for seven years that I was living with. How, how was all of this stuff happening without me knowing? And there are just some people that are that good. Yeah, no, I just don't, like me, with my situations, everything that's happened, like John was the serial perpetrator, had multiple women. I think his numbers are like in the hundreds, three hundreds or something like that where he's been doing this all his life though mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know so this he's had so many women and i have women reach out to me on the daily too sometimes so i i just don't understand i have trouble just monitoring one relationship in life and just like balancing that out i'm like okay i need to do stuff for myself how do people have time for this it's like they don't sleep. But I slept next to him every night. Yeah. And I know how hard he slept. Like, so there <laughs> is just, you know, I think something within him yeah. that could compartmentalize. Okay, so he, so he was a teacher. He was a high school teacher, correct. And you were on, and you were on set a lot were you on location a lot is that sort of how this was happening like you would leave town and he would have these rendezvous or was this maybe in the beginning i think when i first moved to atlanta and we got married i did travel a little bit more for work than i i normally did but that was only uh, you know five weeks here five weeks here you know and when I stopped traveling for work and was working locally, it was still going on. So, you know, he he was just a professional at figuring out how to make it work. And there was, no, I'm sorry, there was, there was nothing. There was no, like, where is he at today? Or I'm telling you, like, he was always in touch with me, always letting me know where he was. I never wondered. Like, oh, wait, he's not home for dinner or no, he, he kept normal hours. 
So when he was at school, he was having these relationships? I mean, obviously with the student. With, with the student. With, but with the other women, you said 70 women that he was, was he actually engaged in relationships with them? I would say maybe not 70 that he actually was in a physical relationship with, but some kind of communication, sexting, all of that. As far as the number of women that he was actually sleeping with and having sex with, um, you know, maybe it's a little less than that. But over a seven-year period, it was... Maybe it it's was, a little less? Just like maybe. a little bit. Just like... Just a little bit. Ooh, just wow. a minuscule. Oh, wow. Maybe it was only 50. God. No, I don't mean to make light of it either, but... No, you know, that's, at that's some right point, to too. that's your right to do your. Yeah. yeah, I, I, I mean, OK, as a man, like when you hear this, I'm curious what you think about how he was able to do it. I, it, is, it there's two things that are coming going through my head. One is you said he, he was a videographer into the creative arts. So for me, I'm kind of, and you said he played in a band too. So like, I'm thinking to myself, how do you, like I, I at some point go, do I want to engage in shenanigans or do I want to play guitar? <laughs> or do I want to go out and shoot something that I'm interested in doing? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I don't, I, 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 I find it very hard to comprehend how there could be these relationships or how they could be giving anything. But my father did this. My father had multiple relationships. Oh, really? Yeah. So, and he was a doctor. And I often think like, what was he doing at these times? Like, what did these, what did these relationships look like? First of all, because if he's married to you and he's having a relationship, what did those relationships, what were those interactions like? Was it just like, hey, meet me at the hotel for an hour and then that's it? Or are they going out to dinner or did they just, or is he, how does he explain that away? Did they? I, well, I'll, I'll tell you that. I became a detective sure. once he got arrested and I got into his email to try to help him. And I discovered all the other women. Suddenly I became on, I became like, I was on a mission to find out everything that I could. I spent hours and hours for probably two years going through everything so I could figure out, you know, how many relationships he was able to juggle at once. When were these happening? How was it happening? You know, I just, I needed answers, not only on who this person was, yeah. but how did I miss it? Sure. So... I became the detective and I would make charts of the women. I would see how they would overlap. I mean, some of these women that he had relationships with, they were like three years long and they would overlap with other women that were in three year relationships with him. And these women probably didn't know there was another woman at all either, right? They did not know. I mean, they knew he was married, oh. but... A couple of the women that I spoke to in the podcast even told me he made me feel like I was the only one. Hmm. Did he spend? You said he was—he had children, right? From another marriage, that's why he didn't want to leave the Atlanta area. Mm -hmm. 
So what about that? <laughs> what time did, was he was he spending time with his children? With these he other was. Women? He was spending time with his kids. I, I still, to this day, think he was a good dad. Because no, was he, was, were the other women meeting the kids? Was he no. family? That's that. Okay, so they didn't know. Like, oh, he's married to mom, but or Jennifer, but now there's. Yeah, no, he, he didn't. I mean, you know, some of them because they lived near us or, uh, you know, were involved in something like the Air Force band that he was into. Um, they knew us and the kids and everything, but. Um, he was military? Yeah. Well, he joined the Air National Guard when he was like, I think 39, maybe 40. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, probably like. 38, 39, I think, because of the benefits and all of that. And he was a musician, so he played in the Air National Guard Band, and they were deployed a few times. Interesting. Did, did he have a, does he have an arrangement with God? Like, does he get more time? Like, are his days like 30 hours? Like, hey, bro, you're on, you're on 30, 39 years old, you you enlisted the guard. That's not much off from how old I am. Uh, it, 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 it's just, that's. Tara, I love looking at his face right now, perplexed he is. I'm completely dumbfounded. As a man, I'm sorry. I am completely, No. I am completely dumbfounded. As a, I mean, I'm not a, I have a lot of plates that are always spinning in the air, but they're always, yeah. they're, they're very benign. They're like, am I going to make this? <laughs> am I going to do this thing? Am I going to make this thing happen? Like, you know, it's it's never like, how can I play one like one woman and I, she better not. It's a lot of stress. Collier it's... is also not the average male. Collier, I feel like you are very like respectful of women. You have sure. a lot of women friends. Like, you know, you're not like you don't need to go after women. Like, no. I'm not like, a predator. <laughs> women kind of just come to you. <laughs> well, that's that was my ex's excuse that he never sought after anybody. That they always came on to him. That's a that's a poor excuse, but okay. <laughs> I mean, come on, he that is, is like the, the ultimate narcissist. <laughs> he's a predator. <laughs> he's a predator. Well, I mean, like. 60, 70 women just don't come on to you unless like you're Brad Pitt, you know, or, right? You know, unless you're Collier and you have a YouTube following. <laughs> Joking. <laughs> or you have these crazies that, that slide into your DMs and you're just like, I mean, I guess that you're engaging with. I guess it's a lot. That's a lot of energy to put towards something that is not productive yeah. in your life or the life of the people around you that's just yeah. my opinion it just yeah. makes doesn't make a lot of sense call me old-fashioned <laughs> old-fashioned i'm a single guy i don't have like i don't have kids like i can't even imagine in dating some being in a relationship with one person and then then trying to have these pla these plates spinning in the air i don't know it's just... many plates spinning in the air at yeah. the same time you're married you're teaching you're in the Air Force. You have kids. You we had an ex-wife. <laughs> we had a wine bar for a while in town that he was basically using as his brothel. Oh, okay. And never so got that, caught. Got it. So go in the back office. We'll just 
I mean, who are these women too? Like, I kind of like, mm-hmm. part of me is like, who, like, hey, let's go sneak in the back of the wine bar and get a, I mean, I know, but I I think that, and I spoke to a couple of the women in the podcast because um, I wanted to hear what they knew about this person because they saw a completely different side of him than I ever did. And what was it about him that would persuade them to go in the bathroom at the bar and do stuff? And so that gave me a lot of insight into the predatory behavior and and just that that sickness of the mind and and how he would lie and manipulate. And yes, there were many adult women, but I always come back to the high school student. No, that's where I was going to get like so all adult women was there there was just one high school student that I knew of at the time. Since the podcast came out, we've had a lot of people write in that did have him as a teacher and have expressed that there were some of those awkward moments, I guess we could call it. Yeah, yeah. So he's been doing this for a long time. Yeah, yeah. So that was ultimately, is is it? So it's always, in in my opinion, when I look at these types of things, it, it's you know, it's the old. It goes back to the old adage, right? You know, pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered, mm. and it's and it's always like you're you're so greedy, and it's like, oh, now let me let me try this with my underage student, and that ultimately is leads to their downfall. Yeah, I think you know, the only way I can, I guess, describe it is that. It's like a drug addict in a way where you start out with just a little bit of something and then you need more and more and more to get the high again. And I feel like it was the same thing with him, with Spence, that it was, it probably started out more slowly, but then it was, it took so much to satiate him. Yeah. Wow. And then- if I'm not mistaken, when I was listening to the podcast, there was a lot of girls that graduated from class of 2010 talking about this. Mm-hmm. And that's my age. That's my class. So I'm really yeah. So I'm thinking back. Wow, I've all I've been removed from high school for so long, mm-hmm. and now these girls are going through that experience. That trauma really stays with you for a long time. Yes. Yes. And that's why I think it's important to tell these stories. Yeah. Because we also got a lot of letters saying, I had no idea what this behavior is that I was experiencing with my teacher, my coach, you know, whoever it is. So I think we've been able to shed some light on, you know, Spencer was teacher of the year two or three times in the last, you know, eight years. I mean, he was beloved at his school. Everybody just thought he was the most wonderful person. So, you know, to find out that that was such a front, it was it was devastating to a lot of people. So you said you're so you come home from Nashville. He's standing there with a piece of paper that's a search warrant. 
what is the search warrant for your home for hard drives for so the police came to our house with the search warrant and nobody was home so they knocked down the front door our we had like double front doors and it was split down the middle because they had to break in basically yeah Yeah. but yeah the the search warrant was for hard drives um handwriting samples and a pair of his underwear wow and they said they gathered all that they gathered all that they left and then in that time spence came home he saw the search warrant i don't know how long after i got home maybe 30 minutes and that's you know when I found out and then 20 minutes later, the cops were back at our house coming in the front door to arrest him. And it was the last time I ever saw him. And how are you feeling with all this? At the time or now? Both. Um, You know, having sex with a 16 year old is so deplorable to me a grown man and when i found out the facts about how he would lie to her or use her religion saying like god brought us together Mm. i've never felt this way before it's clearly grooming it's clearly manipulation and all i could think about before the cops came to arrest him was he has ruined everything everything his everything. life her life our lives it's children's lives the community yes this is the thing that inspired me to make my film right was the you know, the consequence and this isn't this was just sexual violence right but you know it's, it's the consequences of people's actions of violence of of the what they do the ripple effects it doesn't just affect you and your marriage and the girl like it's it's just exactly <clears throat> exactly the devastation the destruction how destructive these people are that's right other women 70 other women yeah are involved and, in this now and the ones that i spoke with on the podcast i mean it had been i think three years they were still feeling shame they were still hurting from what they had experienced with this person and yes the adult women had a choice in all of this but still he was so deceptive that he made them do a lot of things that they probably never thought that they would do and feel ashamed of now so fortunately i think some of those talks with them helped you know relieve a little bit of that Well, I thought it was really interesting when you had on the grooming expert because it talked about how even in their situation, it was grooming itself. Yeah, I mean, you know, there are different terms for everything. And I know a lot of people were like, well, grooming is for the underage victim. You know, grooming an adult it can't be. But whatever you want to call it, it's still manipulation. It's still lying. And yes, they had a right to consent, unlike the student did. Um, but he was still feeding them so much bullshit. Wow. 
And and he was telling them that there were problems with us. So that also kind of helped justify, I think, some of the affairs. Of course he was. Of course. Come on. Yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. Having, I think I'm going to leave my, I'm, I'm going to leave her. I'm trying to figure it out. It'll be, I mean, this is what my father did, right? You know, I'm, we're, we're separated. We're not sleeping together. Right. We're, we're I'm going to figure it out. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm going to figure it out. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, just, I, I, you know, we're estranged. And there's all, I think always in these situations, there's always like a little seed of truth to them, obviously, where they'll take, they take the one little kernel of like, oh, we're fighting because maybe you got in a fight the night before about... Oh, right. You, put the, you didn't put the ketchup away, honey. Oh, we're fighting. So that's their thing. They like they use these just little yeah. things because that helps them justify because it has to come from some sort of place of reality for them. I to guess. Sort of, yeah. I think you know my father would do that. I think uh, you know everything that I've learned in doing just this work is that there's always something that they can pull from, which adds that just slight bit of authenticity mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. makes people believe them. Yes. Isn't it crazy? That's too? like an actor pulling from yeah, an actor pulling from uh, an experience to play a character. That's right. Like, oh, I did. I had that situation happen. It wasn't that extreme, but I can pull from that mm -hmm. and use that to make this person, right? Yeah, believable. And and to be able to compartmentalize that much to leave in the morning with sometimes a sex date before school with some woman and then to be texting throughout the day and sending pictures and receiving pictures and then meeting someone in the afternoon to have sex with you know it, it it's just i i don't know i just don't understand it he's a regular casanova like let's have the quickie rendezvous in the and the in by the in the park behind the dumpster. I mean, like, Literally, wow, what a fairy tale! <laughs> Literally, I saw I've I found photos of no. women in his car with him doing stuff. He was in a running club, and so after they would go on their run, they only had the car, so they would. And he'd take pictures and save them and all that. That is an addiction. Yeah. Yeah. But then it crosses the line when you're involving children. Yes. Yes. And he had a daughter and a son the same age That's as this thing. victim. Okay. So police come, they arrest him, and you never see him again. So, nope. And then what happens? Well, they set a $55,000 cash bond or bail, um, which, you know. You did not pay. No, absolutely yeah. not. I mean, that's a lot of money. There was no way I was going to put up the house yeah, for him. Because it would be, so if that's 10%, so it was a $500,000 bond or whatever. No, it actually, it was $55,000 cash. Cash. But you never so that means, right? yeah, but that means you can't go and just get the 10%. That means you have to have the whole $55,000. Wow. And that, I think, is one of the biggest gifts in this whole story because yes. he never got to come back out. I never had to see him. I never had to deal with him. Um, I didn't have to worry about like, oh, is he going to get bailed out and want to come back home? It was just 
all taken away from me, which was definitely one of the best best things that happened. Okay, so this so <laughs> this makes me think back to my father. And you were just saying, because my father was a beloved doctor, so a lot of people didn't believe that my father could do such things. So they started sure. raising money for him. I think his was a million dollars. So or or five five million. It was something absurd. Um and so that would have been half a million that would have had to have been come up with. Uh, and I think they raised like 80,000 or something, his patients. So his patients. Yeah. 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 So did you, do you think that like, so he was never released. Uh, he's been in custody since the day he was arrested. Now did, did the, because you said that he was so loved teacher of the year, did the community, did people in the community say, there's no way Mr. Spence could do this. Did they try to do fundraisers and bake sales and, oh, we're going to get him out? I mean, was that, was there a No, it didn't, cry? it didn't go that far. Um, but there were definitely people who didn't believe it was true. Absolutely. And I couldn't really talk about it until he was convicted, which took yeah. nine months. So I had to kind of set that part of it, that the crime part of it aside. Um. I think by him staying in jail and never getting out, people started to realize that, oh, this must be, you know, this must she, be true. She's not bailing him out. Nobody's really coming to his rescue. That's right. That's, that is, that is the silver lining in all of this. Yes. Because then you didn't have to deal with him. The community didn't have a predator out. That's right. And people saw the forest for the trees, is mm -hmm. what it sounds like. There, mm -hmm. was, there was no, you know, these people are so good. They're Svengalis, right? They're so good at what they do. Yeah. That I just would have thought that you know, people would have been rallying. He would have been out that you were dealing with the monster all over again. That's, yeah. That's, and nine months, that's pretty swift, especially nowadays. That's pretty quick to... It so, seemed so long. Of course, of course. I mean, my father's trial was so, so it took six months for him to be convicted, but that was 1990. So mm. that, I mean, you know, this is what this happened when? When, when was 2018? Yeah. So, I mean, you think he's only no been out of prison. So, so he's, he's out. out now? He is out. Um, he got out, I believe it was August of last year. So, August of 2022. And um, he's just out living his life like a normal person. I mean, he'll it'll forever be changed because he's on a sex offender registry. He's on parole. But he's the type of person that, um, I don't know how you describe it, but they just can, like, make a good life out of anything. Does that make sense? Yeah. They're a chameleon. They can fit into oh. anything. They can make anything out of anything. Yeah. They're just like crafty. They use their craft in a different way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> did you ever see? Mm -hmm. Did you ever see talented Mr. Ripley? Yes, a hundred times. Hundred times. <laughs> yeah. And I just remember the end. Gwyneth Paltrow looks at at him and just says, "I just, I just don't think that there's you know, for, there's ever been a." A, a sunny a rainy day for you how's there or something something to that effect yeah and you're just and it's just chilling when she says it just realizing that you're he's just such a good manipulator 
that that yeah it always comes up roses yeah it's it's true and it's, it's it true. makes your stomach turn yeah uh where is he now um I think he's living with his brother, which is about an hour away from me. But um, there's a chance that he could be moving back in with his ex-wife. Oh, great. <laughs> Willful ignorance. Well, that sounds like a great situation. And that sounds really toxic for the kids, too. Of course. If it's... It's all toxic. This isn't an okay person. I mean, I spent a lot of time asking my therapist who specialized in betrayal trauma, does this sound normal? Am I making this into something? Are you gaslighting yourself? Right, <laughs> right. Like, is it really not that bad? And, you know, she's assured me like, yeah, this is a pretty extreme case. Well, I'm like, you sound normal, though, because you sound trusting. You sound like you have a secure attachment, you know. So you didn't get into this, like, being unhealthy, just saying that. Yeah, I mean, you know, like, one of the reasons that I, I love the description of y'all's podcast is that you talk about the triumphs and challenges of survivors, yeah. And there are triumphs, but there's also a lot of challenges. And it takes a long time to overcome something like this. Yeah. And and yes. again, I, this is just me speaking for me, because this is the person that I trusted with my security, with protection, with everything. The last person I ever thought that would betray me so i've gone through that experience and i try not to compare things but you know what the student went through to have this teacher prey on her and she'll have to live with this for the rest of her life you know that that's my heart goes out to her she she's the hero in the story because she's the only one that came forward out of the 60, let's say there were 60 different women that he adults. was involved with. Adults. adults. Yes. And the child. The child the came forward. Yeah. I know that feeling very well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, where do you get that bravery? What, what does that come from? It's right. It's the right thing to do. Yeah. Children, I think, when I think back to myself, uh, it's not, and I wouldn't say it's ignorance or anything like that. It's, it's when you're a child, when you, there's no con, the, like you understand that the consequences of not doing the right thing far outweigh the consequences of, of doing it. Yeah. <laughs> you understand. And that's the, and I talk a lot about this when I like speak or, or, you know, especially like to young people is, is the, the, like the, the look, you have to look yourself in the mirror every day the rest of your life so you need to make good decisions because you, that person's not going to go away <laughs> you know i, I mean it, it, for a healthy person like that person's not going to go away and you have to be do something that says i can look myself in the mirror no matter how hard it is right now 
you're going to be better off for it. I don't regret anything at yeah. 30 years later almost, yeah. right? Yeah. More than 30 years later. Um, uh, so, I, so there, uh, very interestingly, I received a letter from, a, from someone who has co correspondence with my father. And it was dated, it was around the time my film came out. It was November 2018. And he wrote something, and I haven't read the entire letter. I just pulled it out of an envelope, and I saw this little excerpt. And he was talking about how he saw me on Dr. Phil, talking about my story and how I betrayed him and the family, and how I'm in there making a money grab right. to betray and ask this person, would your son have betrayed his father like this? This is a man who murdered my mother, who I heard do it, then tried to kill me. Oh and I'm God. the reason why he got caught. I mean, you'll see the documentary, but it's basically, I will. Like, you know, I, I don't want to revisit that. But he's right where he belongs. He's still incarcerated. He'll be 80 this year. Um, and I guess my question is with Spence, do you have anything gotten back to you? I mean, obviously, this is a very successful podcast. This is, you're doing other things with it. I'm sure there's a book, you know, that, did you ever get any feedback of like, oh, look at this, look at this woman. Look, she, yeah, she got rich. Look at Jen. Yeah, she's getting oh, rich yeah. off me. People think podcasts make money. <laughs> and oh, it's yeah. like. No, but yeah, oh, no, absolutely. Oh, oh no, absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah. Everybody, we're all rolling in dough. I mean, oh, just, I became they, a millionaire. They, no. I tell, I tell them, I tell them too. I said, if you guys can find, my father thinks I made $1.6 million off of my, off of my documentary. And I, and I literally want to say to him, if you find that, I will split it. With right. Eight, eight right. hundred grand on your commissary books right now, bro. Yeah. That will last him forever. It would, it would, it, 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 and I'll do it with a smile on my face. Yeah. Yeah. Because it is so far <laughs> exponentially. I mean, it's just, it's, it's insane, but. And that's but I, but okay though. But, but it was really, it's, it, yeah, you don't do it for the money. You do it. I did it for the, I wanted to, to change one person. I wanted to heal yes. myself and change one person's life. Yes. But the thing that I, what I'm getting at is, did, does he, the indignance of these people, would he come back and say, look at her, look at Jen getting rich off me. Oh, look at her off my trauma. Look at what, what was done to me. And they, they play the victim role. Did that happen? Well, so the last episode of the podcast, I speak with him while right before he was released from prison okay. and he still takes no responsibility in what he's done. I think he has somehow, was he pardon? Was he, was he set up? No, he wasn't set up, but it was consensual. Like I said before, all these women came on to him. He never went after them. That was his story. Do you think he really believes that, or do you think it's something he just tells people? I I really think that he is trying to convince himself of all of this stuff so that he doesn't realize what a terrible person he is for doing this. Yeah. You, you, when you see my film... You're gonna feel right at home. Oh, I can't wait! <laughs> I swear to God, you're gonna listen to my father because I confront him in prison. Oh, you oh, did? It's the, oh, it's the it's the it's the grand finale of the, right. the whole thing. 
because I spent, I became, I became a filmmaker to tell the story. There's a whole reason I have a career here. I literally left my small town. I want to go where nobody knows me. 2000 bucks in my pocket. I'm going to go figure it out. I don't know a single person and that's the best thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to figure out a way to become a filmmaker and tell this story and, and do this and do make art and do, you know what I mean? Right. To heal myself and help other people. Yes. And, all and of it. So that became a thing, but, but it all, I mean, I teed it all up because I had a relationship with him for 26 years prior mm-hmm. to going into the, to, to going into the prison and working with the production facility in the prison that did all the production work for the state of Ohio to be able to, to be able to, to, to get a hold in there. So, okay, I can, I, I know I can film in here. I know I have mm-hmm. a good rapport with people. And, and again, the, the level of denial, like when you see it, you'll go, oh, that's, that's gotta be Spence. I, but you said it was consensual. It was consensual. So what does he say about sleeping with a, a minor? No, that's what he was talking but, about. But, but, but that's unbelievable to me. Yeah. Like, but don't you understand that's a child? Right. A ch- <laughs> they can't consent. <laughs> they cannot consent. They don't know what they're doing. I'm sorry. I, I mean, I didn't know what I was doing at that age. No. And if some, you know, handsome 49 year old teacher when I was 15, 16 years old told me that, like, he's never felt this way, I, I mean, I remember what I was like as a high school student. It's so impressionable. And you want attention. And, and, but yeah, he doesn't, um, I don't think he holds himself responsible for much no, of it. Of course not. No. And, and, and he's basically just said, I, I hope everybody just moves on. Oh, yeah. It's very convenient, right? Until you marry a reality TV producer. <laughs> I hope everybody moves on. Oh, can just, we all just move on? <laughs> I just love the fact that both of you guys have narrated and produced your story because that's something that I haven't been able to do. And I think that that's really just encouraging. And I think that that's where true crime needs to start their standards at mm-hmm. because for you guys to go through the narrative, it's even a different healing process, I feel. That that makes sense, yeah, because you were more, I feel like, interviewed for the Dirty John podcast. Well, it was it, supposed to be a series of newspaper uh, articles, so it was just Christopher Gar- Garfield, or Garfield, <laughs> Christopher Gofford was recording it just for the newspaper. Mm-hmm. Like, none of it was supposed to be a podcast. Isn't it crazy how that happens? Yeah. Yeah. Now, you talk about a podcast that made millions. Oh, yeah. Tara, you must be rolling in it. (laughs) Apparently, the internet says I have 3.5 million. And I'm like, oh, I would really appreciate that when I'm overdrafted. (laughs) (laughs) Right? When I'm trying to buy groceries. She's also willing to split that with whoever finds that. Right, right. 50-50. I know. I've heard, you know, oh, she did it for revenge. She did it for the money. She's exploiting these people. Nope. Nope. You did it to move on. I did it to heal and move on and try to help others heal and just to make somebody else out there listening feel less alone. Yeah. Because don't you guys feel like you feel really alone when you go through something like this? 100%. 
was the only person with like a true crime story out there until I started meeting like other people like Collier and Lenora Claire. And then I started meeting other people and I'm like, oh, I'm not the only one where it's kind of funny because it knocks you off of your ego in a sense. But then you're also like, oh, I have this community. Yeah. 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 You know, it's just that feeling of isolation and like, can anybody understand what I'm going through? And did anybody get through something like this? Yes. So when you you can find those stories of healing and of survivors, it just gives you it it empowers you. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. I agree. Look at all of us. We took our narrative back. Yeah. You know? That's, that's huge. Have you forgiven him? That's an interesting question. Um, Do I forgive him? That's like, no, I, I don't. He consciously did this. He knew he had an issue when he asked me to marry him, when he asked me to come to Georgia when we were living under the same roof and we had become a family, he consciously made a decision every single day to betray our our relationship and to do sinister things, sinister acts. So I don't, I don't hate him, but I, I know this is going to probably have a lot of people yelling at me, but I, I don't forgive him. No, I don't. I n- not because I'm holding on to it. It's just he made a h- huge mistake, many of them. And I, I don't know. I just no. I, I can't say that. Oh, it's OK. Yeah, It's not. Well, that's yeah. OK, because that's your choice. And that's your healing process, and it's no one else's. Yeah. And I don't, I, I'm not stuck in this unforgiving place. No, yeah. I've moved on. I just, you know. He doesn't deserve it. It's, no. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, well, the best sort of where I argue to with the, you know, and, and people are going to excoriate you one way or the other. If you forgive them, you're they'll excoriate. If you don't, then, right? You know, I because I I for a long time, you know, people said, "Do you forgive him?" I said, "Yeah." They said, "Well, how can you do that? How can you go through that?" I said, "Because it's not about him. <laughs> it's about me. Mm-hmm. Like just because you forgive somebody doesn't mean you accept what they did. Right? You 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 somehow it it somehow it 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 makes it all okay. <laughs> um, you you exonerate them. You say, oh, it's water under the bridge. You just go. This will no longer have power over me. Right. So you might not be saying to me that you don't. You you're saying I don't forgive him, but you have because you've literally said this has no power over me. Yes. And that is forgiveness. Yeah. Yeah. Because you have to, and I think a lot of people so, so often mistake those two things that forgiveness is somehow acceptance or or acknowledgement of like, oh, it's okay. No, it's not okay. Right. It's terrible. You're a terrible person and I don't like you. Yeah. But I forgive you because this has not, this is, I've moved on. Like, And maybe that's part of it. I just don't want, to ever condone the behavior 
Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And you're not, you're not by saying that, but I get, mm -hmm. I, because you have, you've done the work enough to say, you might not call it forgiveness, but you've been like, I'm releasing this yeah. from me. Just yeah. as you're like, oh, he's moving in with his wife and oh, look, he's always lands on his feet. There you go. Mm -hmm. Oops. Yep. Well, Cats then, fall out of buildings all the time and somehow survive. <laughs> yeah, you never want to say forgiveness in court either towards the perpetrator because <laughs> in my grandma's case, that's what got my um, this guy that killed my aunt two and a half years in jail. So you never want to say that in court either. <laughs> that you forgive them? Yes. Oh, yeah. That. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and it's, it's again, and again, that not, guy laid on his feet as well. Lives a great life. Nice big house. Isn't White it crazy? It's insane. White picket fence. Literally. White picket fence. Yep. Crazy. No acknowledgement of the destruction that they've done to their two sons, the destruction to the family. None of it. No. No accountability, no, no responsibility. Nope. And that's the saddest part of everything. Yes, it is. I think I feel like had he in that last conversation I had with him said, yes, I realize I have serious problem. I'm going to get as much help as I can because I know that when I get out, you know, there could be those temptations there or anything like there's none of that. None of it. None of it. And without even realizing that you have an issue, how are you ever going to overcome it? Yeah. They don't want to. Yeah. Well, and they then don't want to. My father still blames me. Blames you? Yeah, uh, 100%. I betrayed him. <laughs> Murdered my mother. Buried her under a house oh in God. another state that his girlfriend and him bought. She forged my mother's name. I'm the one that found the house. Uh, it's <laughs> betrayal. Yeah. I'm the bad guy. So Tara, in your situation, because of what happened with John, how is it with your, did she um, blame you for destroying that relationship or anything between them? Oh no. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think my mom would be, well, I mean, there is a point where there is, you're going through, I'm not sure if you felt this way, but when she was going through learning everything that John was doing, there was a little like jealousy in a sense where it was like, oh, he was with her. He was with her. Like, what about me? And I, I do understand that completely because your whole reality is changing in that moment where you're realizing the one true love that you thought you had is with so many other people. And so now your whole world is coming down. And I think that that was so hard for her to go through and mm -hmm. see that like all these other girls are not like her either. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's hard to kind of step away and forgive and be like, oh, it's all to do with him. But you kind of have to go through the steps and the motions before you're like, it's all him. Because your trust, your, learn your heart, your brain is everything is telling you to trust him, mm -hmm. even though your reality is telling you that this is not true right now. And also, you know, 
what's real. I mean, suddenly everything that you know. Yeah. Your life as you know it, as you've been living it, is completely just devastated. And and your mind is like trying to figure out, wait a second, I've been living in this farce for seven years? Right. And then I don't know about you, but it was like, what is even the next step to do? What, like, where do you go from here? Mm -hmm. You're like, you're in shock and you're just like, I don't know the next steps to life even. Right. I don't know the next steps to life. That's exactly how it was. And thank goodness I had a friend who had gone through um, a cheating partner and found this betrayal trauma expert in L.A. and introduced me to her because putting a label on what I was going through helped me so much. I don't know how you guys feel about that, but just having something defined. Yes. Yeah. You're going through trauma, you know. For me, it was the trauma bonding. Understand how my mom got attached to him even because there was resentment with her because this guy tried to kill me. And so you have to understand the full effects of what happened to Mm -hmm. you. Yeah. It messes with your brain. Oh, yeah. And I don't think people realize that. But trauma literally messes with your brain it changes the chemistry 100 percent. yes yes <laughs> it changes the chemistry yes and so yeah now you're living in the four f's you're living in the fight flight freeze fawn response mm-hmm. and so or you know a lot of people are trying to also change the fawn response to appease response so just making that apparent to everyone but there's the responses that you're always constantly living in now because you're now in the survival mode with everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And, you know, I love what you guys are doing because you talk to different people who have, who are labeled a survivor from all different circumstances. Sure. One of the things that I realize is that there's not, you don't have to compare people's trauma. Like, yeah. oh, what what she went through was so much worse than mine or what he, you know, or this. You, you don't have to compare them. I'm a survivor because I had trauma in my relationship and it wasn't the same as the student. It wasn't the same as what each of you went through, but it was my own survivor story and how I was able to deal with this this blow that happens. Yeah. Yeah, you got rug pulled. That's one of the mm-hmm. worst things is when you get rug pulled, you know, uh, in 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 life and and and, and the dis the deception the 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 then the shame you know the shame and the uh, well, how why didn't i see this coming why didn't i do the you know because of course everyone's going everyone's an uh, you know a monday morning quarterback in these situations mm-hmm. right oh she saw it come i don't believe right. her she just was too ignorant to say oh she sees she thinks she knows everything i mean this is so, what i would have done this is what i would have done Everybody's oh really like, okay <laughs> Get in my situation and tell me what you would have done. It's, it, it, it's so, it's so, you know, and it's, and it's unfortunate because I'm sitting here with two women and it's, it's always the women. It's, it's not like they, they don't align with you and go, girl, I got your back. 
they're like, no, I did this. And it's like, it's like, you know, that some men are absolutely no good, that some people are absolutely no good. You know, you've had that experience. How could you not see this? Oh, that didn't happen to me. And it's really because it's, if you, if they start to identify with it, then it really hits home. That's why mm -hmm. I think that there's, you know, Tara and I have discussed a lot with ethics and true crime. It's easier not to pull the word of the day, excoriate uh, the survivors and the people that have made it through, but put the serial killers on a pedestal. Yeah. 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 It's good. No. Because, because that is so far out of their reach. You know, Alec Murdoch's getting, getting love letters in prison. That's so far out of reach. But, oh, it's their fault. It's this person. It's, it, oh, it's the victim's fault. It's blame the victim. And, and don't it's, you. And, it's, and I'm tired of it. Yeah. Tired of it. I'm Me like, too. People say, oh, your mother knew better. Your mother stuck around for the money. Oh, your mother said, no. And it was one of the things when I made the documentary, I found out that my mother put my father through medical school. My father used to ride that, oh, I did this for the family. Bullshit. Yeah. You're full of it. Yeah. Liar. You and know. I don't know how you guys feel, but um, a lot of these topics that that we we discuss and we've experienced get swept under the rug. Yeah, people don't want to talk about it. They just want to sweep it under the rug because it hits too close to home. Because they could go, oh, that would have been me. I see that. And deep down inside, the, the louder that they're they're chanting, oh, I, I wouldn't have done it. The more they're the more they're actually confirming, like, oh yeah, I would have been fucked. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I just see the bravery in sharing our stories. You know, um, I, I'm not I'm not yeah. gaining anything from sharing my story except hopefully somebody helping. Else. Yeah, helping someone else. Yeah. I mean, I see this a lot. You know, I, I've got up on the soapbox. I, I, you know, I, I have my own personal experience with it, right, and the shame and all that. But like when I when I see people talk to Tara, the things they say to Tara. Oh, oh, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of, and, and you know, I would say that the overwhelming support is, is, is overwhelming and supportive of all of us, right? But there are people that are like, oh, I would have done things. Like, oh, she should be in jail for him. She killed him. She did this and that. What, so what was she supposed to do? Just was she supposed to, to, to stand there and let him kill her? <laughs> would, that, would that have been what you would have done? Would that right. have been what you wanted your daughter to do or your son? That's right. Yeah. Oh, no? Yeah, no kidding. You know, and a lot of the people excoriating us as well are people I like I went back through my messages messages and I started replying to people about their stories and I had a lot of responses of don't ever contact me again um, because they're still in that relationship. Mm, yeah, yeah. You know, and so yep. we really bring this awareness to them and if that person's not ready to leave that relationship they're not ready and it sucks yeah it sucks on everyone's part guys yes <laughs> it does yes yeah but we can bring light to truth and we can talk about how hard it was yeah to get through it yeah you know again i come back to what you guys said the triumphs and the challenges of being a survivor i mean for me i think there's a lot more challenges yeah. than triumphs so far <laughs> well i feel i don't know for me but i'm or for you guys but i'm really blessed that my trauma happened because of the awareness it brings and also just the community it brings yes yeah and i was a toxic person 
not knowing how to cope with stuff and then my trauma happens and then I get therapy and I get help. <laughs> I know that's how I feel too. I mean, now I'm like, this happened to me and, and look what I did with it. I've grown yeah. so much as a person and you know, n nothing is perfect. Life is certainly not perfect, um, but I've grown. And I also realized it wasn't my fault. I was not part of the problem and I can't fix it. Yeah. So you have to let it go at some point. So true. Well, on that note, Jennifer, where can we find you on social media? Where can we find the podcast, The Betrayal? So Betrayal is anywhere you listen to podcasts. Um, it's on Apple Podcasts iheart distributed it so it's there it, anywhere you you can listen to podcasts you'll you'll see betrayal so yeah it's um you know coming from a producer background i chose to explore some topics that i think um might have been taboo for some people you know i, I talked with the student the victim yeah. i spoke with a couple of the women you know, I wanted to do that myself. It really was my journey to healing. And um, I, I think we captured it pretty well. I honestly thought it was really great produced. And I've heard from other people as well about the podcast and how great it was produced. So kudos to that. Well, thank you. Again, you were my inspiration. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, as I always say to Tara, we're, we are all part of a squad that no one really wants to be a part of. No. We're all a part of the Survivor Squad. Jennifer Faison, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you guys so much. So we want to say thank you so much to Jennifer Faison for joining the program. We will have links in the show notes of today's episode where you can find her and listen to her podcast, The Betrayal. Until next time, Survivors, I'm Tara Newell. And I'm Collier Landry. And this is the Survivor Squad. The Survivor Squad podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And please consider supporting this program by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Survivor Squad.